Well, good morning again. If you have your Bibles, we will be looking at Acts chapter 18, verses 24 to 28. That's Acts 18, 24 to 28. So, if I were to ask you to catalog your gifts, your natural abilities, your experiences, your skills, your education, and what those things that you love to do, what would that list look like? In other words, what are some of the things that you love to do and that you find joy when you do them? And in some ways, you feel pleasure, God's pleasure when you do them. In what ways are you more effective than others are in particular areas? Going a little deeper, what experiences have you had whether good or bad, that God has given you to help others. Or maybe put it this way, what are the mad skills that you have? If I were to talk to your close friends, your siblings, your parents, if they're still around, how would they answer this question? None of these things are an accident. These things that you have, these skills, these gifts that you have, they aren't an accident. God has put you together with all of your skills, all of your education, all of your experiences, all of your loves, and combined these with your spiritual gifts, and I use that spiritual with a capital S, gifts given by the Spirit, to empower you to pour out God's grace upon other people. So, you see, every follower of Christ has been given spiritual gifts by the Spirit of Christ. If you are saved and redeemed by the Spirit, and the Spirit dwells in you, you have them. You may not know what they are and what it is, or, but you have them. If you dig deep into these questions, I would actually argue that you might be able to identify what they are. These gifts are not to be used for self, but to love our neighbors, to communicate the gospel, and to strengthen the church of Christ. You see, raw talent must be exercised and honed in order to be effective at any given thing. You agree with me, right? If you're good with sports, or cooking, or whatever the case may be, golf. You need to exercise those things to get better. So how can you exercise your spiritual gifts? Ever thought about that? To be better at that. If I came up here this morning, and I had only preached one time before this, this sermon would sound a lot different than it does today. But I've preached, if I preached hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, then there, you would expect that that skill of communication would be honed more and more. You understand this? The spiritual gift of preaching, of teaching, of exhorting, that comes, you don't just have it, you develop it. You might have a raw part of it, but it's not all that there is. And so, how can you exercise or hone that? How can you use these gifts to glorify Christ, to spread His glory throughout the earth? And I want 
you to think about this as we look at Acts chapter 18, verses 24 to 28. What we're actually going to see today from the story of Apollos, Priscilla, and Aquila is that as God's people exercise their gifts in community, God's people get encouraged and Jesus is praised to the glory of the Father. Let me give you a, a brief background before I read the text and then pray. So leading up to the story here in Acts 18, we see that Paul goes, leaves Athens where he talks about, he preaches a sermon in the middle of um, a, a, a city where there's gods everywhere and he preaches a sermon, his famous one, you might have heard it, to the un, and he talks about the unknown God, he proclaims. And he has preached the gospel, he moves and goes to Corinth from there, and as he preached the gospel there, he is working as a tent maker, and there he stays with Priscilla and Aquila. Meanwhile, Silas and Timothy join him there as they come from Macedonia. So at this point, Paul seems to focus completely on preaching that Jesus is the Christ, and he tries to get a fledgling church off the ground. So after he stays here for a while, Paul, along with Priscilla and Aquila, head for Syria, and on their way, they stop at Ephesus. And Paul leaves Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus. He goes back to Antioch, and because there's no church in, in Ephesus, he leaves Priscilla and Aquila to basically do a church planting effort. That's what's happening there in Ephesus. So Priscilla and Aquila were probably going to the synagogue to tell the people about Jesus. And this is where our story begins. Acts chapter 18. And we begin in verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Let me pray. Lord God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come to you now and we're asking you to open this text up. In particular, Father, I'm asking that you would give me wisdom and words to say to be able to accurately articulate what this text is getting across, and in particular, to show the people here at Christ Presbyterian Church that you have gifted them with spiritual gifts and these spiritual gifts are to be developed and used for your glory and ultimately to see people believe that the christ is jesus and so we praise you and ask for your holy spirit to illuminate this text and to illuminate our hearts and we ask this in jesus name amen so we've got priscilla and aquila here and now we see apollos so Apollos is, what we're going to see, he's preaching Jesus boldly, but partially. Okay, well, I'm going to explain that. He's preaching Jesus boldly, but not quite all the way there. So Apollos is a Jew from Alexandria. Now, if, I don't know if you know about Alexandria, but Alexandria is a port town in northern Egypt. It's right on the Mediterranean Sea, 
And it was a place that is cultivated, and it cultivated the finest both Hebrew and Greek culture and thought. I mean, it was a thinking city. It was one of the great learning centers of the world. The university there had an extensive library with subjects in Greek and Latin and Hebrew, in rhetoric and philosophy and medicine and mathematics and geography and in history. You can think of this perhaps as like a city well-educated like a Boston with all of the educational um, facilities there. But Alexandria also had a large Jewish population and a very well-respected Jewish school. It was here that the Old Testament was translated into Greek, which was the common language of the day. And so in there, the Jews had developed even a method of biblical interpretation. So this is how advanced they were. Not only did they have all these writings, not only did they have all this educational stuff, but the Jews there even came up with a philosophy, a practical reality, a hermeneutic of how to interpret the scripture. And so that is where Apollos studied. So this guy is no lightweight. He's no lightweight, and we're going to see that. It appears that Apollos was here, and he was very well educated. Now what we see here is his eloquence or his learnedness. So Apollos, it says, was an eloquent and learned. And so the word that we translate eloquent probably means that he was both learned and able to express his knowledge in a clear and powerful, powerful way. I mean, you understand this, right? You can be really smart and not be able to communicate a thing to anybody. That is not Apollos. He is incredibly smart, incredibly learned, but he can articulate it to you in a way that you understand. This is Apollos. And so he's expressing it powerfully and clearly. He was, he was not a lightweight at all. He could give an argument in a clear and concise way that basically proved that he knew what he was talking about. And you'd be like, okay, at least I have to respect what you have to say, even if you disagree with But it says he was able or powerful in the scriptures. So he wasn't just eloquent and learned, though. I mean, you could be eloquent and learned and know nothing about the Bible. And you would be eloquent and learned and like Jesus and want to tell people about Jesus, but know nothing about the Bible. This is not who this was. He was a dynamic preacher who could bring the scriptures to bear accurately. He more than likely interpreted and explained it with excitement, with exciting implications, and probably powerful rhetoric where you kind of got maybe trapped in a corner and you had to, you're like, whoa. I guess I see that. We might say that he was an expert in the scriptures. He knew them inside and out. He could talk to you about what was in Isaiah, what was in Genesis. He could probably explain Malachi and books like Haggai, even Nahum. All these books that people are like, ah, I don't know. He could do that. But it says he explained the way of the Lord. So it appears that he was also deeply religious and very devout. He had been taught the way of the Lord, it says, from the disciples of John the Baptist. So here's a question. What does that actually mean? Like, he was taught by John the Baptist, by disciples of John the Baptist. So what would he know? Well, they taught that Jesus was the Messiah. They taught that Jesus, like John said, that he was the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. All accurate things. That Jesus was great and powerful, and that Jesus would baptize with both water, right, the Holy Spirit, and with fire. 
So he was, they taught that he was worthy of praise and worship. They taught that Jesus was God. But I don't think they understood how it all worked. John the Baptist was confused. He was looking for a kingdom. So when he was locked away, he was like, hey, are you really the one, Jesus? And Jesus says, well, don't you see what I'm doing? Tell him this. That's what's going on with John the Baptist. So his apostles, his disciples, the disciples of John the Baptist, would have had these similar ideas. Now, Apollos was more than likely well-versed in the prophecies about the Messiah and that Jesus was that Messiah. The Messiah is basically the promised one, the Christ. That's why we call him Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Messiah. What's a Messiah? A Messiah, the Christ, is one who would come and rescue the people and bring them redemption and bring them into the kingdom of God. That, that is what they understood of the Messiah and bring about the kingdom of God for his people. So he more than likely taught to live righteously. You remember John the Baptist? He's like, you brood of vipers. You know, you people, what's wrong with you? You aren't living right. You're not doing justice. You're not loving mercy. You're not walking humbly with God. You Pharisees, you need to repent. You're a bunch of what, you know, all of these different things. That's the kind of things they talked about. So he's, he, he's talking about living righteously, living holy lives before God, and living them in faith and repentance. So he probably taught that their lives were so dirty and filthy that they needed the sin washed away by the Messiah, by the Savior, by Jesus, the Lamb of God, who would take away those sins. And he understood that no matter who, the, who a person was, that they needed cleansing and forgiveness that's found in Jesus. He would have taught the lifestyle of repentance and living in humility and the need of, for God's forgiveness. Would have taught that religion is not just things that you do, but a heart and life geared to worship and service of God. And so he also would have basically taught that the fruit of this is to love God and love your neighbor practically. Taking your coat and giving it to someone who's in need. And so he would teach ethical living. Um, to summarize, Apollos knew that Jesus was the Messiah. He knew that Jesus was God and that he was going to somehow take away sins and somehow his death did that. But to receive this, they must live in repentance of sin, a life in keeping with repentance, and in gratitude of God's forgiveness, loving neighbors yourself. But what, what more than this? I don't think we know. I mean, isn't it a big question mark that the text says? It says, well, he taught about God. He taught about Jesus accurately. But then come Aquila and Priscilla and they basically had to explain the way of Jesus more accurately. So everything that he taught was right, but it just needed a little bit more. That's what we're seeing here. So he obviously didn't know about the Holy Spirit and baptism in the triune name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because that's one of the things they teach him. Did he know the full reality of Jesus on the cross and what that meant and Jesus' ascension? Did he know Jesus' giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost? We don't know, but he was missing stuff. He had holes in his theology, holes in his understanding. And so he probably was missing out then. then. But with this teaching about Jesus, it says he was fervent in spirit. Basically, he was boiling over with enthusiasm. Boiling over with enthusiasm. And so, 
when he preached about Jesus, man, he preached about Jesus. And people were like, whoa, this guy's all in. That's kind of what the idea there. He had learned much and he knew the scriptures well. And so he preached what he knew with such passion that everybody noticed. He was passionate about what he preached. And so people would then listen to him. So basically, it sounds like Apollos is the preacher that everybody would want. It's like, man, if you were a pulpit committee, Apollos is the guy you want to get. Okay? But it gets better than this. He was an accurate teacher. The things he taught, as I mentioned, he taught accurately. But the only problem is he was missing some pieces of the gospel. And he was operating without the fullness of God's revelation. What he taught, he taught right, but the problem was it wasn't enough. And I could tell you all I know about forging, you know, like beating steel. I like to do that. I haven't been able to do that since I've been here because of where I live. But I could tell you all about that. I could boil over with my love about it and my love for it. And I could tell you about what I do know accurately. But there's a lot I don't know because I'm not a professional at it. And so if I wanted to tell you accurately all of it, what would I have to do? I would have to go and learn from the master, from someone who knows everything, and then I could go and fill in the gaps and explain to you all about the intricacies of forging, right? That kind of a thing, that's what is going on here. And so so Apollos did this with boldness. He had confidence in what he believed and what he preached. He had a good understanding of the scripture to prove what he was saying. Nobody could refute him. He would tell everyone his message without restraint. In other words, he was free to tell everyone without fear, boldly, daringly. So what do we see? Apollos was using his gifts to teach others about Christ. He was using his skills that he developed to teach others about Jesus. It's great that he had these things, but more than likely, he was missing the most important thing. The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Spirit in what he did. You can preach accurately without the Spirit. Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, says that when we preach, we must not preach just with eloquence, with the wisdom of men. We must preach with the wisdom and power of God. These words I say, disconnected from the spirit of Jesus Christ, empowering me to be able to give them and being present in the words that I say in this very space today. That is where the power of God is. The words, the power comes from God's breath, from his power, not mine. And the Holy Spirit is key to this. And so... He needed the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and to be able to walk in that. So he was, in my opinion, preaching religion, and it was true, but it was devoid of power. And people were convinced by it, but it was still devoid of power it, because it was without the fullness of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it looks like it was working, but it wasn't completely accurate. So... Verse 26, learning Jesus fully. So you see in verse 26, it says, But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. 
So enter Priscilla and Aquila. They heard him in the synagogue and were probably amazed at how truthfully he was preaching about Jesus, how he was proving it from the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, that Jesus was the Christ. But they could hear that there was something missing. Like, you ever get that feeling when somebody's teaching you? There's just something not there. That's what Priscilla and Aquila had. And they probably did not hear about the implications of the resurrection of Jesus with the Holy Spirit coming into God's people and the power that comes from that. And so I think that they were not under, he was not understanding and did not relate the, the, the spiritual reign of God in his people by the Holy Spirit. And they probably didn't hear also from him that the people should be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So somebody in the congregation, I would imagine, in the synagogue, probably heard it and said, oh, I want to believe. And, 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 and Apollos is like, great, repent! And move on with God and do works of justice. And Aquila and Priscilla are saying, no, no, no. You need to have them baptized now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then they'll receive the Holy Spirit. That was what I think is going on here. But what I want you to notice here is the gift of hospitality. Priscilla and Aquila decided that they would exercise the fruit of the Spirit, love and humility, by yelling out loud in the congregation that he was wrong and he was missing something. Is that what we read? No. They took him and pulled him aside privately and I think what they did after he does this little sermon there and tells everybody else they're like can you come over for lunch today we'd like to talk with you and and we'd like to tell you talk to you more about Jesus and he's like it's about Jesus great let's go and so they get there and they get their snacks out and their food out you know they're eating chips and salsa or whatever it is you know I'm sure it wasn't that at that day but they're eating together and they're fellowshipping having time together and then they're beginning to open up and explain what the implications of the Holy Spirit and what it means for Christ to have ascended and now to 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 be in his people see they didn't embarrass him they could have what you never heard about the Holy Spirit couldn't they have done that they could have said that in the synagogue. They didn't. They understood he was teaching accurately, but he was missing some things. So instead of being harsh with him, they took him aside privately, showing love and kindness and gentleness and explained the way of God more accurately. As an aside, good model. Good model, right? Unless the, what they're teaching is false, which you need to deal with. But if what they're teaching is just not all the way there, you don't need to like call them out in front of everybody. Tell them, take them aside and teach them more accurately. So, the gift of hospitality, I think. And so they took Apollos into their lives so they could bring him into the school of Jesus Christ. So, I think that they instructing him in the way of Christ. And should be noted here something else about Apollos? Just like Priscilla and Aquila, Apollos was humble enough that even after a highly successful sermon, he could hear his deficiencies and learn. You ever thought about that? He could actually hear his deficiencies and learn and grow, even though he probably knew tons more than Priscilla and Aquila about a whole lot of other stuff. 
He knew and lived out the reality that no matter who you are and how gifted you are, there is always room to learn. This is humility. If Jesus Christ, being God, left heaven, took on the form of a servant, humbled himself, I think we can listen to other people and learn from people who know more than us. But you see the gift of teaching. So as they brought him into their lives, they explained to him the gospel more accurately, I think by using their spiritual gift of teaching. They probably explained explained that Jesus was risen, ascended, and he sits at the Father's right hand, but that Jesus, at the Father's right hand, sent the Holy Spirit now to indwell and live in each believer. And that baptism into the triune name is the seal of that reality of life in the Spirit. And more than likely, they explained the atonement at a much deeper level, what Jesus did to settle the wrath of God and, and, and those type of things and the reality of the received righteousness that he has. So Apollos would have walked away with an understanding that Jesus was present in power with his people in the present. That's what Apollos would have walked away with. Wow. Jesus is in me by the Spirit. Jesus is in every believer by the Holy Spirit. And so he would have come to understand now that righteousness is not simply through living right and even loving others as yourself, but righteousness is through Jesus Christ and him alone. Notice that one thing we see again this week, like we did a couple weeks ago, is that discipleship is happening through friendships and relationships in people's homes. This is a practical thing that happens in the Bible and should happen in our church. So, we should understand here is that this thing happens in the church, obviously, but not just there. So notice what happened here. God used the Christian community to develop Apollos, right? The Christian community developed Apollos. God provided Priscilla and Aquila to develop Apollos' gift. Once that was done, man, he was ready for action. And we're going to see that. Preaching Jesus fully and building up the church. Verses 27, 28. Apollos is now ready for action. He has just got all of his ammo, right, for his guns that he had. He had guns without ammo. And now he's got ammo for all his guns. He's got it accurately. He's been taught how to aim his gun correctly and shoot where he's trying to shoot. That's, I mean, that's, that's what happened. The way of God more accurately. And so more than likely now, he says, I want to go to Achaia. Do you know where Achaia is? It's Corinth. Corinth. This is important because I'm going to tell you momentarily about that. More than likely, Priscilla and Aquila told him what they had seen in Corinth, and he got excited about what was going on in Corinth, and he's like, that's where I'm going to go. So he, 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 he go, wants to go there and to now bring the message that he now more fully understands to Corinth. So Priscilla and Aquila, along with the other brothers now, encouraged him in his desire to go. Here's another spiritual gift, encouragement. Those in Ephesus who believed and saw his gifting used their spiritual gift of encouragement to push Apollos further in kingdom work. So what do they do? They're encouraging him. Yes, go. But even no more. The Ephesus leaders had the gift, the spiritual gift of leadership. So what are they doing? They now write a letter of commendation 
for Apollos to take with him to go to Corinth so that he has credibility there. So they're using their spiritual gift of leadership to write a letter to give him the ability to preach accurately there. So you've got teaching, you've got encouragement, you've got leadership. And so more than likely, as, the, as this happens, they wanted to see the gospel be furthered in Corinth, so they sent this letter. Now, Apollos' gift. Apollos arrives in Corinth, and he used his gifts to help the church and promote the gospel. He powerfully now teaches the gospel, completely accurately. Through the recommendation of Ephesus, he now becomes a leader in Corinth. So the letter of recommendation goes to Corinth, and now Apollos is at Corinth, and now he's leading at Corinth because of the gift of encouragement and the gift of leadership in Ephesus. So you, what, are you seeing multiplication here? See, what, see what's going on? And so he, he, he basically now helps the church in their evangelism and grows them up into Christ. In other words, he builds up the church and he encourages Paul's converts by watering Paul's seed of the gospel that he had planted in Corinth. Now, he helped the church, it says, by powerfully refuting. And what does that mean? It's the idea that he took arguments and he like, bam, threw them on the ground and stomped on them. That's what that powerfully refuting means. The people are arguing with him and he goes in there. He's like, let me tell you, that argument, nonsense. Throws it on the ground, stomps on it, squishes it, and we move on. That's that idea. That's the power that he had with his, with his preaching and his teaching. And so he proves that Jesus is the Christ beyond a shadow of a doubt. Nobody can argue. He boxes him in the corner. Maybe it's Isaiah chapter 53 and says, oh, you know, the suffering servant. Who's that? Not Moses, not David, not Malachi, right? It's Jesus. Things like that. And so he, he, he teaches in the synagogue through dialogue and proves the reality that Jesus had to die and rise again. Why wouldn't the church of Corinth be encouraged? They had a great and powerful preacher of the gospel. What did Paul have to say about Apollos? Well, he was a little bit frustrated at the Corinthians. Why? Paul says... For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed. As the Lord assigned to each, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. This guy was so powerful that he was on par with Apollos, with Paul and Jesus to the Corinths. That's how powerful his preaching was. And Paul's like, guys, come on. There's just Jesus. You, you, you got to let the messenger be the messenger and let Jesus be Jesus. That's what he's getting at to them and correcting them. But you can see the gifts that he had and the power that it was being used in that body. So can you see how this works? Can you see how the church is working together? The church in Ephesus, the church in Corinth, Paul and Apollos and all these people exercising their spiritual gifts and all of these things are happening to grow the church up so that they know who Jesus is and so that people are getting saved. That's what's going on. So I want to apply this to us today. Each of you that has the Holy Spirit living in them 
has been given by God a set of gifts, a set of experiences, a set of skills, a set of education, a set of relationships that you have right now, people that you know, people that trust you, that God can use for the advancement of his kingdom and the glory of his name. He gave each one of you gifts that you can use so that others may come to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Some of us are more upfront like Apollos. Others are more in the background like Priscilla and Aquila. But each and every person is equally vital to this church. Every one of you. If you feel like you don't have a place in this body, we have a problem, and the elder's job is to draw you in to using your spiritual gift for this body and for the kingdom. The session has been having conversations about this and is very concerned about making sure that you know what your spiritual gifts are, that you know how to use them, and that you actually are using them. Okay? So, you'll hear more of this as time goes on. I assure you. You are not a waste. You have been given gifts by the Spirit Himself. You have spiritual gifts, and I put a capital S there, because they are gifts from the Spirit, God Himself, given to each and every one of you that has the Spirit. You have been entrusted by God with gifts from Him for the building up of this body and for the advancement of His kingdom. You know what our problem is? Is that we are tempted to bury them just like the guy who had the talents and we say, oh, I know you're a harsh master. I ought to make sure that I do everything right. I don't want to use my gifts because I might mess them up. No. No. That's not true. God said, no, no, no. If you think I'm a harsh man, then maybe you should have actually put my money in the bank and at least got me some interest from it. That's what that story says. You need to use your gifts. So the reality is, is, is that you, you might be afraid you might mess something up and somebody might be mad at you, but that's not your concern. Your concern is to use the spiritual gift that God has given you and the body will love you whether you mess up or not. Because we are one in Christ Jesus and he's died for us and we love one another and it's okay. But you must be using your spiritual gifts. Our, the reality is, is, is that Think of, the, think of that, those talents and ask yourself, the guy with the, the ta five talents, what did he do? He did the best he could with them and he made more money from them. And you've been given a gift of talent, gift of t a talents and gifts and spiritual gifts. So are you using them the way that God has asked you to? God wants each one of us to step out in faith he wants us to develop our gifts. And if you don't know what they are, he wants you to make an active effort to find them. You ever get irritated? If, you have, if you're a parent and you have kids 
and they just tell you they can't do anything good at all. They're like, and they don't want to try about try anything. I don't know if you've ever had a kid like that, but many people do, and they're like, I'm just not good at anything, and so they don't try. As a parent, that's pretty discouraging. You're like, you're you're more than that. You're better than that. You have gifts and talents and skills. I can see them in you, whether it's drawing or whether it's, you know, just making people laugh or whether it's, it's, it's skill with engineering or something like that. There's all these things that we know and we see in our kids and we want to draw them out. And the problem is everybody's so afraid. Oh, I don't want to mess up. I don't want to fail. The father, you're the child of your father. And he wants to see you using the gifts that he has created you with. Don't hide them under a bushel. Don't don't tuck them away so that you're safe. Use them. Use them. And when you do, you're going to see that other people will begin to develop. Your gifts will help others in this church. Here are a few questions for you. What are your spiritual gifts, and how can you use them to tell others about Christ? And how can you use them to build up the church? What gifts do you have that can be used to activate others in their ministry? You ever thought about that? How can you activate others in what God is calling them? How can you train or mentor others by using the gifts that you have? Maybe you have hospitality. And maybe some people don't even know what that is. Maybe you should teach them. We must take the gifts that God gives us and use it to build up the church, to love our neighbor, and to make disciples. What's the point? All for the glory of God. Lord God, Almighty Father, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would descend upon each and every one here in this room and give them the power to break free from the bondage that they might have of being afraid to use their gifts in your church, in the, your, for your kingdom, for your glory. I pray that you would free everyone to see, to be able to see the gifts that you've given them, the things, the special endowments that you've given each and every one, so that this body might work as, as, a, as a body that every part is doing its part in order and the right way and together so that each part is being advantageous for the other parts but not for our glory, but for yours. Lord, we need you to do this because in and of ourselves, we can't. We need you. And so we ask that you would show us our spiritual gifts and allow us to use them for your glory. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, if you would join me and stand.